Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Bushland. I have really no connection with anybody presidential, so this is not one of those podcasts, you know? I'm going to talk to you about all different categories, other than food, if that's what I put down. Uh, We're going to talk about relationships, marriage, we're going to talk about kids, parenting, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, past life, before kids and marriage, and where were we at, what were we doing, so just sit back and relax, you know, let me see, I'm going to start off, I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. Back in 1983. And. What I tell you. Really wasn't. The best place to be raised in. But it was what it was at that time. That's where I was at. Now. In the 80's. We was going through. The crack era. You know. uh, Mind you. You know. 60's, 70's. 80's were. No bullshit. A lot of people were getting addicted to these hardcore drugs, including my loved ones and my family. But that didn't happen until, I say I was about six, seven years old. So before I was seven, I don't say six to be on the safe side, it was a regular day. It was a me being the youngest and a single mother who did as much as she could and you know being introduced to men when you're single working a lot of no beat like just broke ass dudes love that shit and they try to go attack yeah they try to make that theirs so my mom was a victim of a no good broke ass dude and got bagged you know what I'm saying and it sucked you know because the relationship was the rockiest I've never seen shit like this where it made me want to jump out of a two story window to go run and call the cops and safety of my mother and fear that she'd get hurt cause she was getting her ass beat by this guy so as he's abusing her and he never touched us because he knew that would be my mother's breaking point if he ever laid a hand on us so he never really but he did like you know punk shit like punch us in the chest like strengthen up little dude you know shit like that but never did he beat us or but my mom was a target you know and we were too young I have no muscle, you know, no hair on our balls yet. What the, what can we do? So, we finally escaped out the house one day, evening actually, one night when they was going through that shit because he was dumb drunk. And he started hitting my mom's and I just ran over to a neighbor house, I opened up the door and hauled ass, called the cops and they came through. Am I proud about calling the cops? Hell no, but proud to fucking save my mother because I love her. I had nothing to do with calling the cops. I'm fucking five years old at this time. Six years old. 
Yeah. It was me just saving my mother, the woman I love, the one that looked out for me. So that was going on for quite some time until we took the courage to initiate a plan to help my mother in her abusive relationship. But as every battered woman go through, they tend to fall victim or they tend to don't want to change their situation in the beginning because he'll change. And that's that's right there with females Your obligation is not to change a man. The man's supposed to change for himself. You're supposed to support him. And vice versa. A man's supposed to support you as well. You're not supposed to change a man. Every man has their own path and it's up to them which they choose to take it or not. So, anyways. So... My mother stayed with the guy because love is blind. And blind, you know, people get into a lot of accidents when they don't know something's in front of them and shit. They fall over, they get hurt. So, you know, later on, it's becoming like the late 80s. He's bringing other female friends that's doing drugs. And I let off to, yeah, they're sitting in the kitchen, having a little party, drinking wine coolers, smoking their little joints. You know, that was cool. That was all right. But then, you know, coke started being involved. Guns started being brought in the house. Drug dealers making sales. Now it turned into a trap house, kind of, on a weekend because that was the place to hang at. So... My mother's boyfriend at the time introduced her to drugs, hardcore drugs, where everybody's doing it, so you might as well, you know? And that was the whole expression, hey, cool, you know, relax. So, that happened. I went from coke to crack to heroin. And I'm sitting back in the early stages watching my mom's health and her mindset just start deteriorating. Like, not really caring about how people look at her. Because she was just trying to survive. I remember me and my brothers being left in an apartment for weeks. Literally for a week or two. Well, she'll come back for a day, two. Probably try to clean up, get the power and change, and then... Something sucks her back in. A friend calls or pulls up to the house, knocks on the door. So now she disappears again. One of my um, one of my relatives gave her, I think, at least like three hundred fifty dollars in cash, or close to even four hundred or something like that, and told her, my mother told her to go buy coats for us for one winter. We never received those coats. You can't... And at that time, they didn't know. But you can't give an addict money and expect it to go to good use or it responsibilities are being handled. It doesn't really work like that. But that relative came into the situation 
blind. Didn't even know until after the fact of that happening. So, it started to get worse. We got evicted from our apartment. We're literally sleeping in crack houses on the floor, me and my brothers. Crackheads stepping over us just to go purchase their fix. Strangers stepping all over you. It was weird, you know? It was... We didn't know what was going on as kids, but we we had a clue. Um, One of my classmates lived upstairs in the crack house that we lived in, so... And this classmate of mine always had nice attire. Always had a nice shirt, sneakers, Nikes at the time, you know. You could tell that, you know, his parents made sure he looked good. Come to find out, his father is the dealer of the building. He's running that whole building. And as I'm coming out of the trap house, the crackhead house, because that's where me and my brothers are sleeping at because... We're homeless with our mother who has an addiction. He knows what his dad is doing at that time. Me, I'm still a kid. So he definitely grew up fast to know the game. But me, on that note, I was more of just trying to live life as a kid and keep my innocence and not get caught up with street life or whatnot. But apparently that it was around me. It was I was forced to basically see and watch. But... As he comes downstairs, and this kid was pretty big. He was like the school bully, even, you know, we wasn't cool like that. But he was like, oh, man, that's a shame, as he's walking past me. And I said, what are you talking about? He was like, you'll see. And he walks away. I didn't get that until about a week later, where I walked into my mom lighting up taking her hit she forgot to lock the door but those weren't that wasn't really hurtful what was hurtful was when we was living in that uh, the projects basically where she had the parties at Uh, me and my brothers and a couple of neighborhood friends at the time we're out and about walking through the projects and they have little hallways and it is like a walkthrough to get to the back and in the hallway there's holes in the ceiling and if you're tall enough you can reach up in there and I, re- I remember seeing this guy throw something up in there so I act like I didn't see him he walks away and then I run to the spot where he threw whatever it was and I grabbed it and it was a big ass bag of white substance At that time, I didn't know what it was. I knew it was drugs, but I couldn't say if it was heroin. I couldn't say if it was, you know, cocaine or crack because I didn't, I couldn't identify. But I knew it was a drug. I knew he was a drug dealer. So I grab all the drugs. I run to the house and I give them to my mom. And I said, Mom, do something with this. Flush it down the toilet or something. I don't want people taking drugs no more. I don't want to see nobody hurting out here no more. My mom gave me a hug. She said, okay, baby. 
and she went in the bathroom and she flushed the toilet. Long story short, she didn't flush the drugs because at that time she was in the beginning of her experimental period where she kind of didn't mind the high. So whatever I gave her was more than enough that a drug dealer came to our door because I don't know how he found out and asking me to go find the drugs that I took from the hallway and I said I shot it over here because I heard people running in the hallway and I got scared and I didn't know what it was. So we're looking in these shrubs and bushes or whatnot and the guy is pissed because he just lost a good amount of work. He lost, I don't know what it was, could have been an eight ball, but could have been a couple of them. Well, all I know is my mom had that shit and she wasn't giving that up. Because if she was, now she looked like a liar. Because she's out there looking in the shrubs with me, trying to find the substance. So, from there, there was waking up in the morning in the projects, eating cereal. And, I mean, it was bad where there's roaches in your cereal box. Literally, like, if you listen to Wu-Tang and you ever heard uh, Ghostface Killer, All That I Want Is You, featuring Mary J. Blige, and he's talking about plucking roaches out the cereal box, we couldn't even identify if it was a wheat puff. You know, the wheat puffs, basically, they look like smacks, but they don't have no sugar on them shits. And a roach egg, or a roach, because it was somehow, sometimes camouflaged with the cereal. Literally, roaches crawling out of the cereal box when you pick it up off the refrigerator to go pour it into your bowl. Rats, roaches. It wasn't a good living situation. But it, it was what she can afford at that time until we got evicted. So like I said, now we're bouncing around crack houses. And then we eventually moved to a family shelter. And at this family shelter, there was a whole bunch of other families that was there. And it was cool. And so, I believe it was my brother that came back to the shelter late. And they put out like a missing persons. And me and my mother and my other brother was out there in the streets trying to find him, if I'm not mistaken. And we got kicked out. Mind you, I'm young. I don't know what's going on other than the uh, the worry on my mother's face and the, you know, me being pulled by the arm, running through the streets, using telephones and shit like that. So from there, we went to another shelter. And in this shelter, there was a whole bunch of single mothers. And then on the other side, there was a whole bunch of men. <clears throat> so you had kids and women on one side, and then you had just men on the other. And it was like some real Orphan Annie shit. If you watched Orphan Annie, and the girl's crying in the beginning, then you know what I'm talking about. There's a big-ass room with just everybody sleeping in it. And, you know, there's no privacy, there's no nothing. 
And mind you, everybody has girls, it seems like. And my mom's the only one with three boys. So I'm around females. I'm, you know, seeing titties. And I, and it's not purposely being done as a shelter. It's like, you're a kid. You're not a grown-ass man, so they don't look at nothing like that. But I'm seeing everything. My brothers are seeing everything. Yeah, my mom can't control the situation because there's over, like, fucking 70 people in this damn big-ass room. It's crazy. So, during the day, a lot of the females will go outside in the front, smoke their cigarettes, uh, talk about, you know, bullshit. Because, I mean, for a female to go outside and smoke cigarettes and just be posted up with other females... It's like, what are you doing? You know, you should be working on getting out the shelter. But young people, and I was young myself and dumb, we waste time by talking about the good old days or saying what you're going to do, but you ain't doing it. So, and there was a lot of, like I said, men, single men on the other side that are trying to get their life together just like the females. And somehow these two people that's trying to get their life together feel like love is necessary or lust and let's start a relationship while we're in a shelter so you got a lot of failed relationships out of that you got just a lot of uh people that's just not focused trying to do what they need to do Uh, my mom almost turned out to be one of them but one of her friends had an apartment and told her to come stay with her and it was a three-bedroom like condo type thing which is rare in the city of Hartford very clean upstairs downstairs and uh sorry for the pause y'all there's a situation where my my um my pops used to play in a jazz band my dad Mind you, he died in the 90s. But as he was, uh, his health was deteriorating. And while he was in the hospital going through his uh, treatments and stuff, but he was hospital bound, he couldn't really leave. He gave my oldest brother his trumpet. He played the, you know, the trumpet. And... With all the fixings, the the oil, the cloth, I mean, this this was a beautiful piece of equipment, you know. And I never see my older brother so happy to have something of our father that didn't live with us, that we really didn't know, but just a, a token of him meant a lot. And even to us, you know, the younger brothers, we were all ecstatic. We were happy to see that, a piece of pops around us. Anyways, so the, the people that we was living with had, had boys as well. And uh, while we went to school, they took the trumpet out. They drenched it with oil and stuck shit inside to clean it, and it got stuck. And long story short, they fucked up the horn. As kids, we didn't know how to fix it. We didn't, you know. So it went from zero to 100 real quick. It went from... And then they try to hide it in the beginning. So we opened up the box to see. And we know none of us did it because we were all together. We all just walked into the house. 
we, you know, there was no way in hell that one of us could have did that to our brother. So, he ended up getting into a fight with one of the boys. Um, the mother didn't like that. Uh, kicked, kicked us out, basically, for that. So now we're back at living in crack houses and shit. My mother is still fucking with no good men. At the time, there was a whole bunch of gangs out here. There was 20 Love. There was Solids. There was Nietas. There's Latin Kings, Latin Queens. Solid, if I ain't say Solids already, Solidos, whatever. Uh, I, I, I knew a whole bunch of people in gangs. There wasn't even no Crips or Bloods like that. It was like... It wasn't that. So, she's messing with this guy that's in the gang. And I remember she was using her friend's car. And they got into an argument. And she went to go drive around his neighborhood to see what he was doing. Um, he see, This dude is dangerous, mind you. you know? He's seen her and shot at the car busted the front window on the driver's side so he was on my mother's side where she was driving I'm in the passenger seat in the front and the fucking window just blows out the bullet missed my mother's face by a couple inches I'm young so I'm sitting low um, it went right through the, like, the glove box from the window to the glove box. We both didn't see where the shot came from, but that's what happened. And she stopped fucking with him because I was in the car and he didn't know that because I was small sitting in the front seat. But to shoot at my mother because I got into an argument was petty as shit. So... Now, mind you, I'm talking about the late 80s, early 90s right now. Going to be transferring back and forth into that. And, uh, you know, keeping everything truthful on this podcast and trying to connect in the era as well. So, like I said, now we in crack houses and shit. Doesn't make no sense at all. But we there. And at the time, through all this shit that we're going through and all our living situations, me and my brothers are going to an inner city youth program where it uh, deals with kids and their stressful situations and basically kids that got fucked up lives. I'm just going to put it in layman terms. Kids that are going through shit at home, getting beat, abused, hunger, uh, you know, negligence, all that shit, you know, you go to this program, they, the school looks at all the kids that feel like, or that have shitty ass homes, or parents that don't give a fuck, or that are on drugs, and put them in these programs, that me and my brothers were all a part of the program, and it was cool, you know, it was like having a a cool ass uncle or step pops, you know, that knew their limitations. You know, they'll take you to like the basketball hall of fame. I mean, every time I went to the program, 
after school because they didn't want these bad kids in the streets because they knew we would have amounted to just, you know, negative shit. Be honest, if I didn't do this program, it wouldn't have showed me different ways at a young age how to deal with things. And not saying I mastered that shit when I was a kid, but it taught me then and there. So it's something I took with me all my travels. And when I needed to apply them, which already been, you know, said and done, I applied them, though. All I'm saying is at the early age, they gave me that mindset. It's just whether you take it or not. But uh, every Christmas, I mean, garbage bags full of toys, they dropping off at your house two days before Christmas. You don't even want to take them shits out the garbage bags or your mother take them out the garbage bags to wrap them up. You're like, you're like, mom, leave that shit in the garbage bags. We don't even care. We know what we can split up amongst each other. Nah, we don't even want to see. You know what I'm saying? We don't want none of that. It's just too much. Leave that shit in the garbage bags. got three, I mean, big, big fucking garbage bags. Just full of, full of crazy toys. Like, this program was a blessing. It definitely helped kids back in the early 90s in Hartford, Connecticut. Early 80s. I mean, late 80s. Apologies. Um refrain from being in the streets as much. I thought that was cool. There's not really too much shit like that nowadays because everybody relies on a boy boys and girl scouts or boys and girls club, you know. But uh we need more programs like that in, in the city for these kids that moms strung out on drugs. Um dad's not around. You know, like, we need that shit because I am one of those surviving kids out of that group that went from piss-poor situations to now I have my own family. Now I'm working. I'm a grown-ass man, and I made it out of that shit. Yeah. My kids really don't even know too much about my past life. They know a good 30%, but they don't know enough to be like, shit, they would never know how it feels. But. So. Where was I? The program and school. Um, so. Oh yeah. The last crack house we lived at. The program director. The guy that ran it. He came to come visit me. My mother and my brothers at this crack house. Yeah. I don't say crack house. It literally like wasn't too bad. She knew somebody that lived up in the crackish building, you know what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean that they were crackheads. But this one was a better spot than the other one. So, And I don't know if this fucked up my mother's chances of getting her life right. We don't know if she planned this. and I, you know. But uh, like I said, when you're strung out on drugs, you try to do anything you can to get what you need so the guy comes into the hallway we see him out the window actually excuse me we're in the car he's we're in the car with him and we was going to get dropped off if I'm not mistaken but let me forward to the situation he goes into the hallway to meet my mother there's a guy at the mailbox. As 
the counselor guy is walking to the door to open it up and he sees my mother coming out the door the guy behind him like does some type of uh restraint and he has a knife so he still has his back turned dude got his hand around his neck and he got the other hand out with the knife saying you know give me what you got i'm trying to rob him so my mom he says my mom looks shooken up like oh my god what's going on and so he felt like the guy's eyes basically got off of his focus and looked at my mother's face to like oh shit there's a witness and that's when he turned like grabbed his arm turned it around his back pushed his face into like the door where he smacked it he dropped the knife he uh but in the midst of that, when he dropped the knife, he, he slits, he like cuts his hand, the counselor's hand, and then he drops the knife. And then the guy, I mean, haul. I'm in a front seat and I'm just opening up the door to see what's going on because I hear a yell and I, that's when he got cut, he yelled. And so I open up the door and the guy just floats right past me, the one that's trying to rob the counselor. And like I said, we don't know if my mother had anything to do with that but it was fucked up i mean this guy gave us like three christmases in a row he uh was there for my mother in and out like you know for us for for that to happen to him it really kind of fucked me up me and my brothers felt real sad we felt and once again you know we're kids we couldn't do nothing so now We go back uh, to where he stayed at, which is a couple towns over, and he had his hand wrapped up, and, you know, he told us, you know, do y'all know anything about self-defense? And then he was telling us how he defended himself, and we started talking about the Boy Scouts, and he wanted us to be in Boy Scouts to help us learn how to survive he felt like it was necessary so me and my brothers we didn't have the money to go to Boy Scouts it was probably like I think $295 per kid or something like that now this this uh, camp was somewhere out next to Waterbury I want to say in Waterbury, Connecticut, around the part of Waterbury, Connecticut. How I know, I'll get to that story later, how I know. But, um, so, the thing was, he knew that we didn't come from money. So he said, if y'all, he had a barn full of broken bikes. A barn. I'm going to tell you again, he had a barn full of broken bikes. And he looked at me and my brothers and said, if y'all can fix these bikes, all these bikes y'all can fix and put them back together, whatever, I will pay for all you guys to go to the uh, the camp, the Boy Scout camp. And mind you, this is the official Boy Scout camp, you know, it wasn't no bullshit, you know, they had rifles and archery and all types of shit. So, you know, to get out of the projects, get out of the hood, to see something, you know, wildlife just... It was like, hell yeah, 
we was down. So about I say two to three weeks out that that summer, that summer month, me and my brothers accomplished to fix over a hundred bikes. We worked from sunup all the way till sundown fixing every freaking bike we possibly can. And he knew that we were different because through the stories that my mom told him and what we used to do in our rooms and how we used to connect things together, like, we were pretty smart kids when we put our heads together, you know, me and my brothers, we, we were definitely a team, collective thoughts. So, got the bikes done, very happy about that, little kid excitement, and, uh... We go off to camp. It was the best experience I've ever experienced as a kid. Just to get away from all that bullshit. Only thing I think only lasted for a whole week. A whole seven days. That was it. But growing up in those times, if you ever watched Nickelodeon, like Camp Anawana, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Just that type of... Uh, I know they like met up in the woods to tell their story on that show. But we did that at the camp. You know, we had our own Are You Afraid of the Dark. Waking up, going to the chow to go eat at this one building where all the troops meet up at to eat. You know, and you're sitting there and they're singing all these camp songs and shit like that. It was amazing. We were blown away. Yeah, we, we stood out like sore thumbs because we was definitely from the projects. My whole troop, majority of, was from the projects. We didn't know none of that shit. We didn't, we you know, all these kids from like Canton and Avon and Simsbury and fucking, you know, even New Jersey was in the house. I was like, all the, and the majority of these fucking troops were white. Sorry to say, my, my troop, I mean, there was a couple of, you know, black kids over here and then Puerto Rican kids, like one or two maybe, but my troop was majority Puerto Ricans, couple black people. You know, I'm mixed, so I just look, you know, fucking, at the time I looked Spanish, so I could have passed for Egyptian, I could have passed for, you know, Middle Eastern, whatever, you know, or light-skinned Jamaican like Sean Paul, but, um, yeah, so we all looked exotic on my troop, and, uh, kind of wasn't, you know, really dealt with racism early, with other uh, troops and them being all white or even Spanish kids because back in the day in the 80s there was a lot of Spanish people that was racist to black people they don't really talk about that why? because they only kind of connect with the ones that were cool with black people so they won't even but there's a lot of Spanish people that look at black people with disgust you know and even to this day it's probably still going on in Hartford right now. I don't know. But, you know, the camp was, it was it was life. You know, it taught me a lot of stuff. It taught me how to build a fire in the woods, survive. You know, because they had wilderness survival badge, swimming badge, archery badge, uh, a whole bunch of shit. You know, smarts and crafts badge. Yeah. So, uh, kayaking, canoe, that shit was dope. I'm I'm not even going to lie. It was just something different. 
from other than seeing, hearing, you know, gunshots and seeing fiends le- leaned out on a project steps. You know, it was just a different, beautiful scenery. So, after we, you know, go to camp or whatnot, and come back that summer, uh, my counselor, basically the one that was helping, supporting my mom, giving her money, this and a third, he just had enough, and he took her out for lunch one day. And me and my brother were staying with the lady that had the house, which I don't even know her name, but, you know, we was all kids and shit. She watched us for a little bit. And my mom came back to the house. I could tell that she was crying. She was really, you know, fucking crying. I could see it in her eyes. But I didn't say much. I'm thinking maybe something happened to one of her friends or something like that. And she told us to, you know, get our things. And we was like, oh, okay. You know, we're getting out of this fucking piece of shit house, whatever. Cool. We're about to get our own shit. And he said, no, we just grabbed our shit. Waiting. And we hop in the car. And we're driving and driving. You know, me and my brothers are just looking at each other. And my mom just starts crying in the front seat. And, you know, we're... That's all we know is our mother at that time. You know, from when we came out until that day. So when she cried, we cried, you know. So we start getting a little bit emotional. Like, hey, mom, why are you crying? You know, you don't cry. You're going to make me cry. You know, what? what's up, mom? Oh, nothing, you know, nothing. Just let, I just want to let you boys know I love you. And we're like, Mom, what are you talking about? We love you too, you know? We love you too. We love you. She's like, I really love you guys. You know, and she's like, now she's like bawling. And we start crying like, oh, shit, you know. Thinking all types of shit as a kid. Like, oh, shit, is Mom dying? You know, what's going on? And we pull up to this big-ass office building. I don't I don't even know what the fuck this is, you know? Just it's a big-ass building. And me and my brothers look at each other like, what is, what is this? You know, or my other brother whispered, I think this is like jail, maybe. And I'm like, nah, there's no fences or nothing around here. I don't, uh, uh, they don't, you know, on TV, that's what they they show you and shit. So we go up in a building. And, you know, we see, see the state of Connecticut emblem. And we're just looking around like, okay, what's going on in here? People are walking around with these little badges on and shit. We're like, all right. Yeah. Then this lady comes to me and my brother and say, why don't y'all come over here to the side and sit down in these chairs? Would y'all like uh, some crayons and a coloring book? You know, we're kids. We're like, hell yeah. We're not, you know, it's boring as hell up in here. And she puts us in like this cubby room and we're just coloring and shit and my mom comes back in probably like 15 minutes later and she's crying and she says look I love you boys but I can't do this no more I can't take care of you I have no money We knew my mom was on drugs. She didn't have to tell us, and she didn't. But we knew that was a downfall. So, as we're all crying out our hearts and shit, you ever cried so much that your fucking eyes are burning? Well, that's what it was. 
It was them fire tears. Them fucking fire tears hurt. And, you know, I had my whole fucking eyelids and shit just swollen from all the tears that was releasing and watching my mother cry. And then she started walking away. And as she's walking, she's getting further and further away. And the double doors start to close. And I didn't see my mother after that until about a year and a half later. Well, that's my intro to my podcast, Bushland. And hopefully you enjoy that first chapter. Uh, Tell a friend to tell a friend. I will be putting out my contact information on my next podcast and hopefully I can get some some messages some mail and some content as well other than that I would like everybody to stay safe and peace be with you until next time